Welcome to Tales, Terror, and Torah. Her name was Rada, my grandmother. She passed away about five years ago. I was the closest to her out of all the grandchildren. I spent a lot of my preteen, teen, and young adult years spending time with her helping her around her house and visiting with her. She was divorced and she was left with a very large house, a very large property with a big in-ground pool, a pond, lots of lawn to mow, lots of trees to maintain. Most of my weekends were spent at her house visiting her. In exchange for a hard day's work, I'd get to go in the pool and swim. This much time spent with someone opens up dialogue, and she shared a lot of things with me that she didn't share with her other grandchildren. One of those things was about the time she got to see the spiritual return of her son. She had five children. The only boy, his name was Gerald. She called him Ger Lee. She loved him very, very much. Ger Lee and her had a bit of a tense relationship when he became an adult. He started to challenge her authority, and she didn't like it. She recalled one time that they'd gotten into an argument in the kitchen, and she picked up a sheet cookie pan and hit him over the head with it. I believe she always felt pretty guilty about that. Jerry came down with leukemia in his adulthood years, and she would go to the hospital and visit with him, and she had to watch her son slowly die. My grandmother confessed to me that she never gave two thoughts about religion or God or spirituality. Her son, before he got leukemia, became a Christian. She told me he started going to church and reading the Bible. His attitude changed. Even when he was sick with leukemia in the hospital, he always had a good attitude. She told me one day she went in and it had been several weeks into his disease. She broke down crying. She said he reached across the bed, hit her on the arm, and said, Hey, what'd I tell you? What's the rule here? She blew her nose and said, No crying. He goes, That's right, no crying. And he went on to explain to her that he was a new creature, that he had accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and that this earth wasn't his permanent home, and he didn't mind being sick. Shortly he passed away, and my grandmother told me that she had all she could do to put one foot in front of the other, She had a husband and other children to care for, and she was always busy working around the house and at her job, three meals a day, doing laundry. After a while, it caught up with her, and she had a breakdown. And the words of her son about the Lord Jesus still echoed in her mind. When she hit rock bottom, she went to a local church, converted to Christianity. She began having weekly Bible studies with a pastor and his wife, and she began reading the Bible during the day when she had time. And slowly, the new world of 
the unknown started opening up to her. Started learning about God and who he was in the universe and things were so much bigger than what she'd been told. And it was with her newfound faith that her pastor told her one day that whatever we pray for, God will answer. He listens to us directly. With her new faith, she believed God could do anything. So at night, before she went to bed, she used to pray, Dear God, would you send Jerry back just once so I could say goodbye to him? After a few weeks of doing this, she said she was woken up one night and she thought she heard someone come in the front door. She drifted back to sleep and the next night she thought she heard it again. And after about seven days time, whoever it was coming in the front door would start coming up the stairs. They'd come a little farther each time. And every night she prayed that God would send her son back so she could say goodbye to him one last time. She didn't link the two together at first, the fact that she was praying to see her son and that something was coming into her house. She said what finally woke her up to this was one night she sat straight up in bed and she felt someone sit at the end of her bed near her feet and she knew that it was her son. But she said it didn't feel quite right because the presence in the bedroom was very eerie very off. She eventually fell back to sleep and the next day she had a Bible study with her pastor and his wife and she confessed to the pastor that she'd been praying that God would bring her son back. She was shocked to see his face turn white as he turned to the scriptures and showed her how we are under any circumstances never to pray for the dead to be brought back. She stopped doing it and the nightly visits from someone pretending to be her son stopped. But I can confess, till the very last day when she sold the house, something was off about the house. I spent some time with her when I was home on break from Bible college, and I was there one day alone, and someone was walking around upstairs. I went upstairs and no one was there. There was one particular room painted lavender. She called it the lavender room. And as soon as you walked through the door of that room, It had a completely different feel from every other room in the house. Ghosts. Ghosts are everywhere. Literally. If you believe it. Like political lawn signs. Like deer ticks. Like dollar stores. Everywhere you turn, you see one or someone claiming to see one. The ghost subject has filled books, movies, and TV shows. Pop culture is filled with ghosts. Ghost hunters. Ghost searchers ghost finders, ghost tractors, and people who talk to ghosts, some as a hobby and some who want your money. Why is this? Why does society love ghosts? Personally, I believe we are infatuated with ghosts because it provides two things. One, the comfort to think that our loved ones who have passed away are somewhere out there waiting to be contacted to see us one last time. And two, A spooky mystery it provides to quench our thirst for excitement and fear. But what are ghosts? They come in as many flavors as Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Let's see here. You got your white ghosts, your invisible ghosts, your good ghosts, your bad ghosts. Ghosts that try to reach out. Ghosts that knock things off your wall. Ghosts that walk around your particular area of your house. Ghosts that talk to only the kids. Ghosts that talk to the dog. Ghosts that pull your blanket off while you're trying to sleep. Ghosts in the attic. Ghosts in the basements, ghosts at the old church, and ghosts out in the old barn. You can take ten people, and more of them are likely to believe in ghosts than spaceships, aliens, Bigfoot, Dogman, and Goblins combined. It almost seems to me that everything we have been primed to believe and trust in, out of all the paranormal, are ghosts. 
when the ghosts cross the line and try to frighten or harm us, we tend to call them evil spirits or poltergeists. But what if even the smiling, happy ghosts in the pretty white dresses are also up to no good? What if all ghosts, good and bad, are really trying to deceive us? If you spend any time researching and studying the occult, you'll find that the occult prides itself on the hidden message that it has a good side and a bad side, a light side and a dark side. Good witches, bad witches. Good Wicca, bad Wicca. It's all the same, really. Once you grasp that, you can pretty much begin to understand that all paranormal activity, whether it's benign or not, is trying to distract you or trick you. Ghosts can also show up as pets and animals and can control sound. I once worked in upstate New York at an old farm. It had been converted into a place that worked with rehabilitating animals. And to this day, people have plenty of ghost stories about one of the buildings on the property. The oldest part of the property, which is a stone house, is haunted, according to everybody, including the director, who was while he was in college used to live in the house. He told me once, Dave, I'd go to college during the day and I'd come home at night, and I'd make sure I left the radio off, but the radio would be on, and fully loud. Not only that. It would be on some Mexican radio station that I didn't even know exists. Another coworker told me one time that while they were in the kitchen of the house, they heard a horse and buggy going by. They looked out the road to expect to see an Amish family, and there was nothing. A coworker said, "Dave, I swear I heard a horse and buggy. I live next to Amish. I know what a horse and buggy sounds like." Sometimes people can over-exaggerate what they feel or see. I can give testament that on some of the nights that I worked at this place. Walking by the stone house, I truly believe someone was inside the house looking at me. You ever heard the saying, "I could feel their eyeballs burning a hole in the back of my head"? That's the impression I got. Once the sun went down, I got the feeling, "Why are you here? This is our place. Go home." A coworker took me aside one day and said that she believed that the house that her grandmother lives in is haunted. She had moved out of her mom's house and had been living with her grandmother to help take care of her. It was her grandmother, her, and her boyfriend. She said one night she was watching TV and her boyfriend walked by her and walked upstairs as if he was ready to go to bed. She went upstairs and no lights were on. She said, "I believed he was in the bathroom waiting to scare me, so I snuck up to the bathroom and I kicked the door open to say, 'Ha, gotcha! You can't scare me.'" She said, "Dave, he wasn't even there. He ended up being downstairs, still at the kitchen table eating." She said, "Dave, something was trying to imitate my boyfriend." She said, "Another funny thing about the house is we have a shelf in the dining room, and there's a packet of seeds that my grandmother never got around to planting. And every week at the same time, they fall off the shelf." I asked her one time. I said, "What are the name of the seeds?" She goes, "They're called forget-me-nots." I said, "Did anybody die in the house?" She says, "My grandfather." What kind of problem can ghosts present to people? For those that don't have any solid, grounded grasp on God and who He is and who we are, can be distracted. You see, it takes faith to believe in God. But if you see, or feel, or witnessed an apparition or a ghost, that's tangible evidence for you. 
And that's going to do more in your mind than an invisible God that your church pastor is telling you to believe with on faith. And that can be deceiving because a ghost can make you question, well, I can see the ghost, so maybe everything I've been taught about religion and God is wrong. And it leaves you thirsty. It leaves you wanting more answers. A lot of the stuff in the paranormal does. Ghosts in the Torah Job 7, 9-10 says, As a cloud disappears and vanishes away, so he who goes down to the grave does not come up. He shall never return to his house, nor shall his place know him any more. What about communicating with the dead? Can the dead talk to us, the living? Ecclesiastics 9, 5-6 says, For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward. For the memory of them is forgotten, and also their love, their hatred, and their envy have now perished. Nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. And as far as dead people haunting particular areas, Psalms 146.4 says this, When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Now, when my grandmother was praying to see her son, she really wanted to see him bad. But this is the verse that her pastor took her to. Leviticus 19.31 Give no regard to the mediums and the familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. It's interesting that God says to talk to mediums or people that can communicate to the dead or to seek out the dead, it actually will defile you. I believe the origins of what we think are ghosts are directly tied to a people called the Nephilim. The Nephilim were the children of fallen angels who took upon them human wives to mate with. They were the giants of old that Genesis 6 talks about. God sent a flood to destroy these Nephilim, children of the angels. And God says in the book of Enoch that their spirits still remain and are the demons. And their job is to torment and confuse and deceive mankind. In fact, even though this is the first podcast, from here on out, you'll find that I will link every paranormal thing that we talk about directly back to the Watchers. I hope you've enjoyed the first episode of Tales, Terror, and Torah. Please feel free to message me for ideas or opinions. I'd like to have a special podcast once a month where I bring on a guest or I share stories of people that listen to the podcast. So if you have an interesting story you'd like to share, please reach out to me and I'll see if I can fit it on my show. Have a great day and we'll see you on episode two of Tales, Terror, and Torah.
He went on to explain to her that he was a new creature, that he had accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and that this earth wasn't his permanent home, and he didn't mind being sick. Shortly he passed away, and my grandmother told me that she had all she could do to put one foot in front of the other. She had a husband and other children to care for. And she was always busy working around the house and at her job, and three meals a day, doing laundry. And after a while, it caught up with her, and she had a breakdown. And the words of her son about the Lord Jesus still echoed in her mind. And she ended up going to church, and I can't remember who, if it was the pastor or someone she knew, sat down with her and shared with her in the scriptures how that we are sinners and Jesus came to shed his blood for our sin and wash us clean. And she converted to Christianity. And she noticed that her heart started to change over the days. And she had a weekly Bible study with her pastor. 